0: I'm now for our weekly global politics slot and uh, delighted to be joined as usual by politics and economics student Thomas Conway. Thomas, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to see you today. Can I first of all ask you about that US warplane shooting down a new flying object near the Canadian border? And my understanding is that's the latest of the three mysterious devices uh, spotted since uh, military radar settings were were cranked up in the wake of the Chinese balloon and all. What are you making of
1: this? It's very bizarre. Right? It, it really is a bizarre sequence of events. I'm I mean are we going to see one flying over Tipperary next that's what I'm wondering would the Chinese have the audacity to do that yeah. uh it seems i mean speculation is that it's a surveillance device that it's being used to uh to gather data on the US countryside the first number of of balloons i think flew over states in which there were american nuclear facilities so that yeah. obviously raised eyebrows but it is very it is very bizarre at this stage i mean why would china do it when uh, the objects are obviously being shot being being shot down yeah um it's yeah it, it's, it's a strange, strange situation what well, really threw
0: me this this guy he's the us northern command commander general glenn Van Herc, and he was asked if uh, it was possible that the objects were aliens or extraterrestrials, and what he said was, I haven't ruled out anything at this point,
1: which was a... Well, you have conspiracy theories like that and, you know, conspiracy theorists will love it. I mean, uh, you know, anything is possible, I guess, but my guess is that it, it is probably just a... A bad Chinese attempt to gather to gather yeah. data on on the U.S. countryside.
0: Be interesting to see what's what, uh, what uh, comes from that. Staying with um, with America as well, Joe Biden's plan to reinvent the American economy. Um, that's uh, brave to say the least and yeah, ambitious, it, isn't
1: it? It is brave, and and it's funny because I mean. Trump, I think, tried to rewind or reverse mm. the US economy,
0: to bring it back to well, a time... that helped him get in, into power. Exactly, that, that precisely. Approach,
1: yeah. You know, it, it was part of his raison d'etre. Mm. You know, he, uh, he, he made these promises that he would restore the coal plants and restore the greatness of old, made mm. it make America great again. Joe Biden, in contrast, is seeking to reinvent the US economy. And to be quite frank, he, he, he's, been, he's been relatively successful so far, he's made he's passed three major bills through Congress, three major legislative achievements. Uh, the detail of them is kind of infrastructure, interesting. You have the the Infrastructure Act, which is worth 1.2 trillion dollars, uh, and that is being directed to towards roads, bridges, other pieces of hardware. You then have the Chips Act, oh, 280 billion dollars of expenditure. Much of that is targeted at semiconductor microchips. And then finally, you have the Inflation Reduction Act, and that comprises about $400 billion. That's being aimed at green tech and other similar pictures.
0: Wow. So is this doing work that would have been farmed out to the likes of China and other Asian countries?
1: Well, that is the thing, yeah. So it it is, in its own right, kind of a form of protectionism. And, you know, that has raised eyebrows in, in Europe, the Europeans, Macron in particular, and Schultz, aren't that happy at what, at what the US is doing here, and they've unveiled their own plans and subsidies to try and, I suppose, offset the effects of Biden's plan. So it's a form of protectionism, very different from the Trump form of protectionism, but I think a form of subtle protectionism, no doubt. Now, there are pitfalls and dangers to it, to it because, I mean... America, particularly at this point in time, cannot afford to alienate other countries. Sure, you know, yeah. with the solidarity that's there in respect of the war in Ukraine and other global challenges, it has to do its best to keep other Western nations on side. So Biden is treading carefully in that regard. Its geopolitical alliances are still to the fore. Mm. But how, how is unemployment? Yeah, you see, this is this is the thing. Unemployment currently stands at 3.5%, a 50-year low. So, wow. things going really well from that perspective. This plan to reinvent the economy, I suppose, where it differs from from maybe Trump's plan and maybe other initiatives launched in the past, it won't create as much jobs because a lot of the jobs now in the tech sector are automated. Whereas in the past you had, I suppose... People standing over production lines today. Mm. Nowadays, you have robots and software, artificial intelligence, uh, doing the uh, doing the work. So. Mm. There, there are differences to this and, and previous plans.
0: And what about Middle America, though? I mean, will he be able to, to get a, a lot of this work to those areas?
1: Well, you see, that is. The, I read one piece very interesting during the week, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it. Like, if Biden gets his way, if his plan comes to fruition, the Midwest, which has always been synonymous with industrial decline, It'll no longer be a place of rusting factories and high unemployment. You'll have rich and and futuristic industry there. You'll be driving vehicles powered by batteries and passing through manufacturing uh, factories, manufacturing batteries and microchips, all this kind of thing. So it really is Mm. a radical change. And is he being acknowledged
0: for this? I mean, in terms of popularity
1: uh, I think you see the, the, like the the numbers are the numbers vary, I suppose when you look at any opinion poll, his approval rating has fluctuated, you know, wasn't great for a time, improved slightly probably has improved over the past few months. We're keeping an eye on an eye on the Republican approval ratings as well mm. in terms of the Republican primary presidential contest uh, but it seems at this point that and we've mentioned this before. There is no successor to President Joe Biden emerging. Mm. Kamala Harris has been, I won't say non-existent, that, that would be unfair to her, but she has been pretty much invisible mm. as Bryce President, going about her, her job in a very understated fashion. But
0: her credibility has been seriously damaged, Thomas, hasn't
1: it? It has, it has. Mm. And it's very hard to see her standing for for election, particularly if Biden decides to go again. And it looks like, it looks like he will. Now, I suppose the big pitfall, the big danger, is that he now faces a slim Republican majority in the House of Representatives. So that makes it much more difficult to get bills through. Mm. Now, the thing about, we mentioned those three bills earlier. I mean, Biden is famous for for his ability to work across the aisle. Mm. I think he's well-liked by both sides of the political spectrum. You know, he's been around the block an awful long time, um,
0: right. So he has cross-party support to a, to to, some to an
1: extent. Yeah. yeah, he's able to cross the aisle and and seek the support. Now that's not always easy, though. And you know, you will have the, the they call them the berserker clan of kind of Republican members who will be intent on stymieing his agenda wherever and whenever possible. So that's an obstacle he's going to have to confront in the coming in the coming two years. But certainly, look. America is home to the largest economy in the world it amounts to a value of 23.3 trillion dollars good
0: god it's eye watering
1: it's eye watering eye watering sums of money so Biden's blueprint it's going to radically transform the US economy if it comes to fruition but look it is very ambitious America will be a better place for it but it's a long way off that vision, which I outlined of, you know, of semiconductor plants and factories and battery powered vehicles. It's still a long way off that point.
0: Speaking of economies, let's have a look at what's happening in the UK. And you're making reference, first of all, to the great British walkout, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I wanted to feature this. I mean, we, we saw those strikes. It's a, it's almost a fortnight ago now. One of the biggest strikes in uh, in in over a decade, almost five hundred thousand public sector workers quickly succeeded by one of the largest NHS strikes in history, and then you had the kind of uh, the juxtaposition last Wednesday or Thursday with Vladimir Zelensky visiting the UK, mm-hmm. and you know I watched his speech to the joint session of the House of Commons, and you have to think that from an international perspective given the fact that the uh, the issues regarding the Northern Ireland Protocol seem to be kind of progressing along lightly as well. We seem to be on the cusp of a breakthrough. Rishi Sunak is doing rather well. Mm. And then you look at what's happening domestically and the sentiment towards him amongst his domestic audience and you think, you know, what is going wrong? You know, he's just marked his 100th day in office last Thursday week. And I mean, internally within Britain, there is just so much doom
0: and gloom about. now. Soon how, it, how badly is he doing, Thomas? I mean, well, by, by comparison to Labour, for example.
1: Yeah, right? I mean, I mean the, the opinion polls don't lie, really. So the Conservatives are basically on 26%. That's 25 points behind Keir Starmer's Labour, which is sitting happily at 51%. So if an election were held tomorrow, almost half the electorate would vote for Labour. And,
0: and it's important to make the point as well. The Starmer isn't exactly a star performer. No, either, he's so, not, yeah. because
1: the personal opinion approval, uh, opinion ratings are, you know, mm. Sunak stands at thirty three percent. That's poor enough, but Starmer is only at thirty three, so he's not doing that much better. Now, the thing is, about 76% of voters are unhappy with the government's current performance. So that that says it all, really. I think people, they may not have warmed to Starmer to, mm. uh, as much as maybe uh, previous Labour leaders or previous leaders, but they're certainly not happy with what the Conservative Party is How, doing in and going uh,
0: on. you know, despite the doom and gloom, Sunak is still, he's kind of, you know...
1: Yeah, positive. he's cultivated this kind of persona as Mr. Reasonable. So, yeah. you know, as we've seen from his work kind of on the Northern Ireland Protocol and Brexit, he's willing to extend an olive branch. And that includes to the workers in the UK. He he genuinely, I think, wants, uh, at least I get the sense, he wants to work with them. He's there to solve problems. Uh, now, the thing is, I mean, the sentiment hasn't really turned for him. You know, in the past, when you have these widespread public strikes there's generally a lot of frustration amongst ordinary members of the public because you know essential services are down, they can't get to work, uh, they can't get hospital treatment, stuff like that. But on this occasion, there seems to be major sympathy across all strands of all socioeconomic groups, all demographic groups, people empathize and sympathize with those who are on strike. For for instance, another another statistic: more than half of voters, 59% backstrike action by nurses in Britain. Wow. So, you know, that's an yeah. over. That's a, a pretty significant majority, and it's probably indicative of the widespread support for those working in medicine.
0: How, how is uh, Jeremy Hunt doing as uh, Chancellor?
1: Yeah, a steady pair of hands, a steady pair of hands, and you have to give him credit, I think, you know, with all with the disastrous tenure of Liz Truss and mm. Quasi quarting you have to give Jeremy, Mary he was brought in there to do a job to stabilise the ship, to ...to get things back on course and he has done that effectively Mm. and I suppose his image contrasts to a lot of the others within the Conservative Party. Another thing Sunak has tried to do is rid the party of corruption and sleaze and yet... He has been faced with numerous allegations. Good luck with that. Yeah, just two weeks into his tenure, you have Gavin Williamson. Uh, He was sacked over bullying claims. The week before last, Nadim Zahawi sacked over his tax affairs. There's currently an investigation into Dominic Raab over bullying claims as well. So, I mean, that is going disastrously for Sunak,
0: you know. Do you know, I was reading over the weekend, there's still an element of Conservatives that are looking to Liz Truss yeah yeah and and, and her politics particularly her her financial politics i I find that incredible some
1: will some will argue and i have heard this argument discussing it around the dinner table at home actually uh the other night you know she came in with a a very audacious plan Mm. in a different time period if the us or if the uk economy was in a different place maybe the markets would not have reacted so poorly to it now i'm not defending her you know it worked out disastrously um, but
0: was, it, was it largely a spend-spend?
1: It was spend-spend, spend, yeah. you know, and, and tax cuts, you yes. know, ad infinitum. And, you know, in some in some circumstances that might be seen to work. But I think given the point, given the the global geopolitical yes. environment at the time, it just went disastrously wrong for her. It was a calamity, you know. It was, uh, you know, it will go down in history as the worst premiership
0: of all time. It's incredible, isn't it? So, uh, Sunak then doing well. Uh, on the international front but you know all politics being local and stuff all
1: politics you know. being local very hard to see it turn him turning around even by the time of the next general election in the UK which is a while off
0: it's incredible. I know you wanted to talk to us about Peru today, but we're out of time and I'd love to spend more time at that because I'm fascinated by what's happening there. But yeah. would, you, would you talk to us about what we should be uh, watching out for? And you mentioned Macron uh, earlier on. He, he's he's under pressure. He's
1: right? under pressure domestically. Yeah. yeah, somewhat like Rishi Sunak, you know, performing well on the international front. His plans to raise the retirement age in yeah. France, which look, to be honest, and I've read into it, they need to do it. He wants to raise it from 62 to 64. It's been a signature policy since he first entered the Elysee in 2017. Not happy. The public are not happy with it, as you would predict. But
0: right. well, financially, Thomas, does it have to happen?
1: Financially, it's practically essential. Right. I okay. mean, and we all know the, you know, ballooning retirement costs, mm. the the costs of funding state pensions. It's an issue across the developed world. Well, we see it here. It's an issue here, here, an yeah. issue here yeah. as well. Of course, the likes of Marine Le Pen have come out strongly against it. Similarly, the far left leader, Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Uh, so they're all coming out against it. But Macron needs to do it. Whether he'll be able to get it through, he doesn't have a majority in the French Parliament uh, at present, so he's relying on the support of another party, another right-wing party, Les Républicains. It's going to be very hard, but I, I suspect he will push it through because I suspect he knows that France needs to do it.
0: With all that uh, was spoken about in Qatar with the the World Cup, now there's a secret Saudi plan to buy the World Cup.
1: Yeah, I, there? I, at first I couldn't believe it, and then the more I read about it I could really because Saudi have tried to by their way into so many sports Mm. events. So yeah, the dust hardly settled on Qatar 2022, but already the talk has shifted to a future tournament and that is the 2030 edition of the FIFA World Cup and Saudi Arabia and Mohammed bin Salman plan to put in a bid, a a joint bid along with Greece and Egypt. Now under the terms of that Saudi would host 75% of the games, but Greece and Egypt would be involved. It's a very interesting plan. Now the, it will come up against stiff competition. You have other, you've two other major bids: Spain, Portugal, and Ukraine. That was initially just Spain and Portugal. They've done a very nice thing, I think, and extended it out to Ukraine. Uh, they've they brought them in with it. Mm. And then there's a joint South American bid featuring Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, and Chile. But I mean. A World Cup in Saudi Arabia would be ridiculously controversial. We well, see the, the social issues there. The, like, so, the yeah. social issues. It is, I suppose, though, demonstrative of how Saudi is planning planning to kind of reinvent its economy a little bit like America, yeah. except in a very different light. Because Bin Salman knows he has to. MBS, as he's called, he knows they need to move away from hydrocarbons. That's oil and gas, and they need to develop a. Um, a better economic framework, which is based on yeah. other industries, well, diversified. Am I, am I
0: right to, in thinking, is homosexuality outlawed there? Is there is e, well, there you there? have all
1: these things, and mm. I read a damning report last week into executions, a, mm. a, a sickening report, really, you know, state executions that are still carried out in Saudi Arabia. So, I mean, if it want... Now, it should be said, I, I will note, they have made progress in certain issues. You know, women... Are finally have finally been allowed to to drive and have been given certain freedoms. Mm. I'm not defending Saudi Arabia Mm, by any respect, Uh, but they are progressing. But it seems that change is is incremental at the best of times.
0: After what happened in Qatar, you'd imagine that the World Cup uh, that they'd be careful about. But I only have 30 seconds, Thomas. But we have to mention what's happening in uh, Turkey because there is political fallout now. Uh, There is political fallout,
1: and we spoke about Erdogan the week before last. He is not going to benefit from this, given uh, given what's happening, given the response effort. Now, I don't want to completely politicise this because, obviously, the most important thing is that as many lives are saved mm. as possible. Uh, but he is due to hold election an election in May. And I suppose this earthquake will dictate, I think, Recep Tayyip Erdogan's political fortunes in that respect.
0: It's going to be very yes. interesting to see how Turks will react. And they're looking into the quality of some of the building now at Yeah, this point and as questions, well, and major yeah. questions
1: being asked as they often are in the wake of
0: these catastrophes. Thomas, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank Thomas you, Thomas Conway with us this morning. News and information is coming up